Hello again, all my gorgeous listeners, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast. And we're here to chat all about the delights of sex, sexuality, and the body. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoiseshack Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society, and of course, me with the sex part of things. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack to help to keep the mics on. Or if you like, please pop over to Apple and rate and review. If you want to get in touch about the podcast, the Instagram and Twitter is at Glow West Podcast. So today, you know, we normally focus on the fun side of things, but we do also have to talk about the not so fun part of things. So there is a trigger warning for discussions on sexual violence today. And I think it's something that has come up quite a lot about how we have sex nowadays. So I have the delightful author Rachel Thompson here today to talk about her new book, Rough, which really kind of just hits the nail on the head for how sex is for a lot of people now. And that is not a good thing. So Rachel Thompson is a journalist specialising in reporting on sex, relationships and gender. She's a senior culture reporter at Mashable and she's also written for The Sunday Times, CNN, Elle, The Telegraph and The Huff Post. She's also the host of History Becomes Her podcast, which explores the inspiring stories behind women currently making history. The new book is called Rough, which some people have said it's an urgent, timely call for change to the systems that oppress us all. And it really looks at how sexual violence takes place in our bedrooms and beyond, and sometimes at the hands of people we know, trust or even love. And it focuses on violations such as stealthing, non-consensual choking and non-consensual rough acts that our culture is only just starting to recognize as sexual violence. Rachel, thank you for talking to me today. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Good, good, good. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this because I just think we're only, like you said, we're only recognizing the mm. fact that this is all a kind of sexual violence. And I really love that um, I was saying to you before we recorded that you have a really nice trigger warning at the book of saying you can just dip in and out. And I kind of had to do that because oh, it yeah. feels so relatable. I've gone, I know so many people in this position. I've been in this position. This is so common. It's not you know, your book isn't about theory and abstract. It's about real people sharing their 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 stories. And it's just, it's hard going <laughs> at times. Yeah, I think it was really important for me and also, you know, for my editor as well. You know, we include that that trigger warning because in so, like so often in books about sexual violence, there's, there isn't a trigger warning. And then you're, you kind of, you're in, you're in too deep and suddenly, you know, you're kind of smacked in the face by something quite traumatizing. And I just think, you know, I knew, I knew how hard it was writing the book and how I had to take breaks and, you know, walk away from my laptop and, you know, I'd read an email from someone that had, you know, shared their story with me. And, and these things really, they sit with you and they stay with you for a long time. And like, I would, they would get into my dreams even, you know, so all I can say is thank God for my therapist who was very supportive (laughs) during that time. (laughs) Oh, thank God for therapists all around. They're the best thing in the world. Absolutely. (laughs) I think what was really kind of hard hitting in it was, you know, we talk a lot on the podcast about language and how important language is and in so many areas. But, you know, you do mention how we we have struggled for a while to name kind of essential aspects of rough sex rough sex as sexual violence now just to be clear for our listeners we're absolutely not talking about consensual bdsm consensual choking consensual anything because it's 
the key is in the word there, consensual. However you get your kicks, happy days. Once it is all consensual. What we were talking about is rough sex that is not, whether that's coercion or, you know, like, well, I suppose what we're going to talk about on the podcast as well. But um, you talk about how people don't name it as sexual violence. So things like stealthing, choking, again, unconsensual choking. Um, People name them as either the grey area, just bad sex, and you say, some of them say, oh, it's not rape, but, and talk yeah. to me about that, because that's so common, absolutely so common. Yeah, this, I mean, essentially what we're talking about is something called unacknowledged rape and unacknowledged assault. And this is, you know, it's really, really prevalent. You know, I, I think there's, um, I think there's a lot of academic research that's that sort of suggested that anything between 33% and 80% of assaults um, are go unacknowledged. And there's loads of different reasons why that happens. But, um, but yeah, things like for instance, stealthing, things like non-consensual choking, all of these things that basically our society is only just, or maybe hasn't even yet, you know, kind of decided is violence or acknowledged as violence. Um, and so you've got that that kind of element of, um, you know, people just not being aware that this is actually really wrong. And um, so that's that's one element that feeds into the, the lack of acknowledgement, but also, you know, the strong victim blaming culture that exists, you know, that teaches people to basically doubt, um, doubt themselves and and to not trust that what's happened to them was actually really bad. And that, you know, they'll ask themselves, oh, was it bad enough or was I somehow to blame or, you know, did I cause this? Did I bring it on myself? Um and also just the, the stereotypes and the um, the cultural ideas that we have about the reality of sexual violence, um, they're actually, you know, pretty much they're misinformation because, you know, in like the vast, I think statistically, it's more common for you to know your attacker. And so, you know, the, the trope of the, you know, the violent stranger rape, like while that does happen, that's not how all sexual violence is perpetrated. And I think that that makes it because of the, because just how dominant that, that trope is, it makes it really, really hard for people to, to actually identify when sexual violence is happening to them in person, like in the, the moment. And that's something that happened in my experience. You know, I just thought, well, that wasn't what I signed up for. And that was pretty horrific. And I thought I was going to die, but I have a, I have a crush on this person and I want to see him again. And, you know, all of the, what, what basically research is called situational ambiguity, you know, how actually assaults and rape take place in kind of ambiguous and sometimes nebulous and confusing situations. And it does take you a while afterwards to be like, hmm, actually that was violence. Um, so that's the kind of over, overarching point about um, unacknowledged rape. Um, but I think with stealthing and non-consensual choking, like I think, I think prior to I May Destroy You, the Michaela Cole um, TV show, I think a lot of people had never, and, and even now when I talk about about the book, even now people are like, what's stealthing? You know, it's it's not a term that many people were aware of before that program. Um, but, and I think a lot of people, I mean, there's been articles on this. Um, I think Sophie Wilkinson's the journalist that interviewed people who had, who had experienced stealthing and had watched the TV show and thought that's happened to me and, and realized, oh, this is rape. 
And I can't imagine even being in that position of sitting in front of the television one night and just watching something that's like, oh, that happened to me. And I guess I was raped then, you know? And, I, and I've had conversations with, you know, I interviewed someone over the phone who, who told me about, you know, a gray area and she was telling me, you know, she told me a few, a few um, experiences basically that she felt were gray area um, experiences. Um, and one, and the first, the first story that she told me was of being basically of having sex with someone for the first time. And that, that, you know, that night actually led on to a three and a half year long relationship. But the first time they, they had sex, he removed the condom like halfway through and, you know, and she obviously that was non-consensual condom removal. And she sensed that something was not quite right, you know, and she said to him, like, hang on, did you just, you know, did you? And he was like, oh, and then in this really like disingenuous way, it was like, oh, shucks, like where oh, where'd the condom go? Um, so I found, you know, that really troubling, just, you know, obviously from a legal standpoint, that's not a gray area actually it's in you know English and Welsh law that's an example of what what lawyers would call conditional consent right so it's it is rape and it's you know essentially someone has breached the condition um you know through which you're consenting and and so it you know and there has been there has been in England there's been a conviction um so there is a legal precedent there and i you know that's not necessarily true in all countries but i think because uh, i know it doesn't exist uh last time i checked anyway um that it didn't exist in le- like stealthing or non-consensual condom removal it didn't exist in legal language in the us but i think there are you know really what we're seeing is like a few a few cases basically um appearing um, and so obviously that creates the legal precedent in some countries. So they're kind of landmark rulings. Mm. But, um, you know, I, I actually after that conversation with the person who told me about their grey area experience, um, you know, I checked in with her because I, I wanted to know kind of how it affected her, her long term, because, you know, she was with that person for three and a half years and more things, you know, things, other things happened during that relationship that were you know, I mean, I think that the other things she described to me were, they weren't necessarily like, I, I don't think that they were rape or assault, but they were just stuff that was really, you know, you could actually, you could say they were grey areas because they were just like really kind of iffy. I think there was one moment where, you know, like basically he, she got her period during sex and he like just went up and turned the lights off because he didn't want to like, didn't want to see, you know, her blood basically and all of that stuff. So just kind mm. of not a good guy. <laughs> not nice things. No. no. And yes. That's an interesting thing of how, how that person didn't realize mm. it was violence because it, there is no inverted commas. There is no violence attached to it. It was a sneaky kind of thing. Like there is no holding down. There is no assault. There is no beating. Anything like that. And that's what we traditionally understand violence to be. It's like that physical attack kind of thing. And so yeah. to name something as like gently mm-hmm. slipping a condom off, to name that as violence, it's taken a few people a while to get their heads wrapped around how we can define sexual violence as that because it, again there's no coercion there's no physical violence and I think we're that's 
we're so at the beginning of understanding that, that sexual violence is a spectrum because we're still so caught up in the fact that rape is like you said the stranger violent rape and you know it, it can be these things as well and it's just that language issue of calling it out and naming it as that and like you said in the book there are lots of people who reported that experience and they're like no but it wasn't rape you know it was just something else because mm. I think we have that stereotype and stigma of what a rape victim is and what rape is that we're not seeing these small acts as sexual violence and that's a huge problem because they are like there's no yeah. there's no gray area on that bit like they they are sexual violence well exactly and and I think you know one thing that was important as well throughout like because obviously people were you know, people trusted me with their stories, um, you know, when I was writing this book. And so, you know, I spoke to some academics about kind of like, you know, essentially, what do you do in the situation where someone dis- someone tells you, this is a like, here's my gray area, or this is bad sex. And when you're, you know, what your brain is doing when you're listening is you're thinking, okay, well, that's actually rape, or that's assault. I've had, I've had family members come up and tell me stories. And I've had to sit there thinking, I don't know, I don't know what to tell this person. And so, you know, I spoke to a few academics, and they were just, you know, that basically the overarching consensus is that we, as individuals get to be the ones who are in charge of the of the language that we use to describe our lived experiences. And so, if a person doesn't want to call or isn't ready to call an experience rape or assault, then I think that that's fine. I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's up to them. Ultimately we're the people that decide. And so I have tried very hard throughout the whole book to not impose like definitions and not impose language onto, onto other people's uh, experiences because obviously it's such a personal journey as you know and yeah, it's in that first introduction I I talk about how you know it took me a decade essentially it took me to actually to the point of me writing this book to be like okay well like let's just acknowledge that what happened was sexual assault you know when I was 19 years old and I'm, I'm 33 now you know and it's really taken me until earlier this year to just kind of call a spade a spade but you know that was a very personal journey and I think that's how it is for for everyone really absolutely yeah and you know myself included in that you get those little light bulb moments of going oh okay it wasn't actually just bad sex and and that's that's where that's going yeah so so like your point there on you know choosing the kind of language you know with active consent um you know we did research a year or two ago um the sexual experiences survey and we t- we looked at what we called non-consensual sexual experiences so things like penetration or something mm. and we specifically didn't name it as rape and some people struggled with that of going no like it's either sex or it's rape you know yeah. there is no in between but because i think a lot of people don't identify as a rape victim because of the myths and stereotypes we have about that and the stigma and also that image of like oh it has to be this very narrow set of conditions that don't happen you know in in every situation and I think then if we had have only said have you been raped we would have missed the recording of all that data I think and I think yeah that's kind of the problem when we are looking at like how do we talk about this and we want to include everyone and not exclude them because rape is a scary word and nobody wants to say I'm a rape victim like nobody wants that no, it's it's a highly stigmatized status, right? And I think th- this this is you know I think it's reflected in in the research on unacknowledged rape. You know that's that's one of the reasons why people 
don't acknowledge it and they don't want they don't want to be kind of tarnished with that with that label that ha- it is it is quite a loaded term now and I think it's you know as you say rape is a scary word and I, and I think that you know that's kind of why I wanted to delve into like specific acts um because I found that I actually when I was trying to you know speak to people and interview people about their real life experiences you know I like I found that if you just say have you experienced sexual violence people aren't people aren't forthcoming but if you're like have have you experienced non-consensual choking so many people would message have you experienced you know non-consensual condom removal and so I found that that quite interesting actually just in that people are more willing to uh, to sort of name the the specific act yes. with the non-consensual prefix in front of it yeah for sure because yeah. even if you look at choking again does not fit the legal definition of rape because rape involves penetration so yeah. choking doesn't fit that but it non-consensual choking is absolutely sexual violence and some of the stories yeah. you share in the book are they're horrific i just wanted to give the per- the people a hug and be like oh my god i'm sorry this happened yeah. to you but, and, but people minimize it because society minimizes it. It's so normal in porn. And again, consensual porn that features consensual actors doing consensual things, happy days. But when you're in a situation, someone just grabs you and chokes you without communicating about it. That is kind of terrifying. And it's, it's, mm. it is sexual violence, but we're taught to minimize it on, well, it's only choking. That's just what we do. That's just what sex is. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, so and also just on the on a kind of legal point as well like actually a lot of people don't realize and and there is a problematic reason why this is the law in England and Wales but um i think since the 90s basically we've had a kind of uh the, something in place a common law um principle that basically means that you cannot consent to a certain threshold of violence um and basically it, it's the result of a like basically an example of of, um, institutional homophobia and kinkphobia because a a group of gay men um, in the 80s and 90s that were practicing consensual uh, BDSM acts on each other, they basically, there was a police operation that was surveilling them for for many years, actually. And um, despite the fact that, you know, this was all consensual, um, there was like a court case and it resulted in convictions and as a result of that uh, as a result of that case there is now um you know this is this is the case that law students in the UK when they go to to law school this is what they learn about as the this is our legal boundary of of what you can and can't consent to and I'm like is this really what we should be using as you know this because it's just so it's so problematic definitely not as well as like yeah oh my gosh and um but this is basically so you cannot consent to your own death and you cannot consent to certain injuries and there are exceptions like in obviously surgery and like sports and things like that but you know it means that choking is actually classed as assault um under English and Welsh law but obviously there is a very problematic reason why that is the law. Um, and it also means that certain consensual body modification things like tongue splitting, certain piercings as well are like criminalized. So basically that, you know, I think what a lot, what not many people realize is that actually, you know, BDSM is, um, you know, there's the argument that BDSM is actually criminalized in, in England and Wales. Um, but on the point of, 
non-consensual choking. Um, so it is sexual assault. And I think that, you know, we are starting to talk about about non-consensual choking a lot more because I think it is becoming it has become quite common and I think that like obviously you mentioned pornography I think that it's really tricky having the having the conversation about you know where is this coming from because often and because I don't I don't align myself with like a porn critical ideology but I think some people are very like they just want to be want to kind of scapegoat porn in this and it's like well porn it's is not that easy. hard yeah. no it's not that easy it's not that easy at all and it's, it's so much more complicated than that and like so I would say that obviously porn is an aspect of our sexual culture and you know it's part of the landscape and you know um you know I think it's basically you know it kind of is interacting I think the fact that choking features now so heavily in so many porn porn scenes that you'll see on you know mainstream like tube sites basically um and then combine that with just you know really poor sex education you know rampant myths about how consent works you know the fact that a lot of people don't don't know that consent is ongoing and can be withdrawn at any point and that each new sex act that is introduced also requires consent and all of this stuff and how you know we don't i don't think in the UK I don't know if Ireland is any different but like I don't we don't have I think we could do a lot better when it comes to communication and when we and talking about sexual boundaries and so oh yeah we we, we definitely <laughs> need this conversation still going to definitely yeah. but it, it's you know there's one thing about you know hooking up with someone and they go hey do you want to do this and that's fine you know it's, there's nothing wrong with asking for anything but it's like if you're in the middle of sex and someone just grabs your throat and and squeezes like that it's kind of pretty scary for a lot of people but it might only yeah. last like a minute or two. And I think that's why people minimize it because it can just be a quick thing, you know, and, and that's what's really scary that we do minimize these things and, you know, or we don't want to make a scene or we think, oh, well, it's not as bad as other trauma. Like there's always like the trauma comparisons, you know, we kind of think, yeah. oh, I, I won't make a scene because it was only a minute and it wasn't as bad as other people. And it's like, no, if it hurt you or hurt you that's the basic answer to that so I think I wonder like you know you have a bit in the book as well about choking and somebody wrote about oh can I like choking and still be a feminist and the battle between those two kind of dichotomies because some people are like no choking Mm. is absolutely misogynistic so how does feminism fit into that and it's like where do you find space in that to have conversations about both pleasure and sexual violence in the middle of all that it's complicated it's hard because first of all I think you know I think it when I think it's the ch- the chapter on like uh facial ejaculation where someone's saying like does it make oh, me about a bad feminist yeah. if if this guy wants to you know and if I like it you know and I and I think that it's really I think that of course like sometimes <laughs> there'll be things that come up sexually that you're like huh hmm is this does this make me a bad feminist but I think fundamentally like sex and so much of like experimenting and like role play and stuff is all about experimenting with the power dynamics that we have in real life right and and almost like there could be like a satire of the power dynamics that exist in real life and you're having fun with those and so if that's how you get your kicks then just absolutely get on with it and like you know if it's consensual and you know like whatever like that's that's how I feel about it like I I think that 
I think it's a very oversimplistic argument to to be like, you know, oh, I'm a bad feminist because, you know, like I want to be treated in a certain way sexually, you know, like there are yeah some some things that there are some kind of like for instance like hair pulling right like maybe it feels good and maybe that's what you like like you can be the most on it feminist that reads all the feminist books you know listens to all the podcasts but you might just like getting your hair pulled when you're having sex and like do we need to like pathologize that do we need to like call your politics into question I don't think so <laughs> and there's like a lot of nerves back there like it can feel nice like in a physical it does feel level. nice <laughs> yeah like I mean you know get it girl get it but, um, but going back so the, the facial thing or the, the cum shot on the face or whatever terminology you want to describe it by I think that's become really common as well and mm. I remember being really shocked um I was reading a book by Deborah Tallman years ago I think it was called Dilemmas of Desire and it's just actually just really depressing it was about young people Mm -hmm. first having sex and um there's a young couple not even a couple like but they were like kids like you know having sex for the first time like 14 15 year olds and the guy pulled out and came on her face because that's what he thought you did because he didn't know any better and she was like what just happened and both of them just kind of freaked out and it wasn't a good encounter for either of them and I think the girl had said she didn't have sex again for years after that because she was just so freaked out about it and it's just become a thing where it's like that's how you have sex that's what sex is that's how you finish um if you have a penis and it's like how did we get to that point where coming on someone's face without their consent is apparently normal now well I think it's so interesting just that you know that idea of like this is what sex is now right and I think that that's such a product of not getting sex education of not being actually told like this is what sex is and can be and you know it like just proper like thorough like I just would I don't know I just feel like if you're not if you're if you're kind of learning like getting all of your sex education from from porn that is a problem it is a problem and I don't like it's not my intention to like demonize porn or anything like that I don't yeah. think we should no, like legislate it's not the erotic porn it's like no porn isn't sex ed it's for adults it's yeah not, and that's exactly you know. it it's it's entertainment that's what that's how it's you know that's what they're making they're not making educational resources and they're not thinking oh let's let's make sure we've we're including consent negotiation let's make sure oh if we're including this bdsm act like let's make sure that we include all of the consent and safety protocols that usually yeah. you know go along with it like yeah in the fast and furious <laughs> we're not going now are they wearing seatbelts? are they observing the speed limit you know or <laughs> like is that person wearing a hard hat when they're like blowing up buildings and stuff like we don't do that for mainstream hollywood no so the kind of exactly. the same with sex but yeah, yeah. and exactly and so I think you know if you're a young person and you just aren't very experienced and no one has sat you down and you know given you proper cons- like proper consent education and just general sex education then you know young people are curious like I know what I did when I was a teenager I like I was like I don't fucking know what masturbation is like you know I I'm gonna like look this up on the computer I didn't even know how to like you know delete all of my search history oh, no. so my poor <laughs> I think it was on my dad's computer no. oh, so I, I mean just mortifying in that's, hindsight yeah that's an experience but that's you know itself. I turn yeah I turn to 
to porn to learn about you know like learn how to do hand jobs and stuff like that and I feel like you know there's nothing there's nothing really out there for young people who have that curiosity and who genuinely are like kind of panicked by the idea of like what do you do like what do you do when you are with this person you really fancy and you don't want to look like you don't want to like be completely inexperienced and I think that you know we have to consider all of the you know the various things that young people are probably probably dealing with and so but yeah I think that um when it comes to yeah like because this idea of like you know because um non sorry I'll start again because (laughs) (laughs) I'm just tripping over my words here because um you know the facial has become such a kind of it's such a a, a defining feature of pornography it's the it's almost like punctuation at the end of a scene it's you know how how to close the narrative um and so and it is something that can be traced back to to pornography i mean it's not obviously the first instance of it ever happening um but you know pornography is what's popularized this um but you know i think that there is this idea of like this is just what you want and you know I'm not going to even ask you if if you want it um and you know there's a there's a study actually I I interviewed an academic who looked into this specific you know the the facial um the money shot and um interviewed um university age men who had been engaging in this um both consensually and non-consensually and and some of the interviews were pretty alarming because you know one of them was just kind of like oh, you know, I I kind of don't feel like I need to ask permission before I, you know, basically come on this person's face because, you know, I I know that she she wants it even if she doesn't know it herself Uh, or she and and they'll say things they'll say things like, you know, oh, she just kind of looked a bit skanky, you know, so there is there is an interaction as well. You know, I think that there is if you combine like having seen it in porn a few times and thinking that's just how sex is but also if you maybe have uh some misogynistic attitudes absolutely yeah because then in your book you were saying you know some of the guys say oh I wouldn't do that with my wife or girlfriend but I would do it and mm. they use the word scumbag like exactly yeah, that's pretty misogynistic you know um, well yeah I think that this I think that this has come up a few times I think actually Army Hammer was talking about like like something to do with oh there are certain things that once once you're married you wouldn't dream of doing with your wife and it's like is it is it a compliment is it a nice thing to say that you are you know that you respect your wife more than all these other women to not treat them in you know a misogynistic or a an abusive way mm. um and I think that that's misogyny yeah. plain as day and you know I think that it's just not it's not cute it's no, not the it's, it's, it's not the cute compliment people think it no. is but I remember back when The Sopranos was on and your man the main guy James Galdafini I never watched it which is really bad but I will get around to it at some point <laughs> but he was saying to his therapist that he doesn't get a blowjob off his wife he goes to his mistress for that because he's like no she kisses my kids with that mouth and it was like yeah. that was the first time I kind of was aware of that and then but it was just viewed as a laugh like that was like a funny cultural moment and now you're looking back and going I'm kind of viewing that with different eyes now uh, like post me too look like there's so many things in post me too we look back and we just go oh that wasn't cute and that was definitely not good it's not very sex positive of them Uh, frankly uh, and and, you know and what you're talking about as well with the um 
in another section of the book the idea of unwanted sex so some of the backlash yeah. to me too has people gone ah oh, you're just giving out about um bad sex and you know it wasn't really sexual assault you just have regrets in the morning all this like just nonsense because obviously mm. that's not what me too is but yeah well, and you said it as well, like the idea of like we look back and we go, oh, well, it was technically consensual, but I didn't want to. And you give in the book the examples of people who go out on dates and somebody pays and then it feels like you owe them sex or else they were a nice person and they were into you and you weren't. But you felt like you kind of had to go along with it. So there was no overt yeah. violence. But again, it was like that maybe like internalized social pressure or something like to have unwanted yeah. sex. It's internalized pressure. It's the. It's also internalized gender roles, and I think that those gender roles can be really destructive for people of all genders. Like, actually, I think people, you know, there's been research. I think there's an NYU study on, um, on how it affects men and like how gender roles can make men and like I think the the idea of masculinity being, you know, oh, you must be always available for sex. You must always be up for it. You are, you know like men just always want to want sex and they always think about it and and therefore you know you should say yes to all sexual offers and so you know men engage in unwanted sex because of because of gender roles to do with masculinity but i think you know one thing like i obviously focus um on women and in the book when it comes to unwanted sex and and i and i think that you know obviously there's so many different reasons why people consent to sex there's, I think there's something like 237 I, I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head but yeah 230 something no it is um, it is I, I, is that, I read is that, it in your book it is 237 237 <laughs> wow how do I remember that yeah 237 express reasons why people have sex and I'm sure there's probably loads more yeah. than just that but you know they range from like wanting their partner to feel loved and you know wanting to feel close to someone as well as you know just like being horny and like wanting to shag but you know there's all kinds of other reasons and so I talk as well about you know being anxiously attached I'm I'm an anxiously attached person I know that a lot of some well not a lot of but you know my some of my sexual experiences have you know, come out of me wanting to feel close to someone, wanting them to like me and being afraid of them leaving me. And, you know, and I've, it, it never occurred to me in the moment to be like, hang on, do I want this? Do I actually desire this sex? Or is it something else? Is it the outcome of, of what the sex will bring about that I actually want? Um, and so there are all these reasons, you know, and, and also just, you know, unwanted sex happens in the place in, you know, in the context of a of a relationship you know um maybe you know partners have different you know they want sex more than the other partner or whatever um and that's kind of called that's maintenance sex and so you know there are kind of like things that happen just pretty that, that things that are common but I think and so I do keep the kind of maintenance sex aspect kind of separate from um from the more things that I think are a little bit more problematic which is you yeah. know when we look when we look at strategic consent which is a term that's coined by um Lena Bay Chung and basically um you know it's looking at how gender and how your socioeconomic status how your race how these factors have intersected to make you feel like consenting to sex was the was the best and most sensible choice for you in that moment and feeling like 
like saying no would be more dangerous. And I think that, so that's strategic consent is basically you consent to something because that's the safest option. And, you know, I think that it, like that's just something, you know, I, I feel like if we were to tell stories like that, I mean, certainly, you know, when we talked about the Aziz Ansari allegations a few years ago, like, you know, we were talking essentially about, I would say, I think we were talking about unwanted sex. And, um, you know, I think people were just like, oh, why didn't she say no? Why didn't she leave? And like, I just think that that is such an oversimplification and it just shows um, not a very intersectional outlook and not really much uh, engagement with one's own privilege if you think, oh yeah, it's just people can just say no. Like th that's an option that everyone has the luxury of having. Yeah. Like saying no, like you might need a you might need a roof over your head for the night. You know, you might be really far from home. Um, it might be safer for you to be in this, you know, in this place than somewhere else. And, you know, maybe having sex with that, like there's someone in the book that I interviewed who, you know, basically she was in a domestic violence situation and, and sex became a way to prevent violence. And so there are all these things that it's just never as simple as, you know, she should have said no. Yeah. And I think that if we reframe it, and what this is what Lena Bay Cheng, the academic, um, says, you know, the question shouldn't be, why didn't she say no? It's like, why didn't she have better choices? You know, why didn't why like why where's the outrage when it comes to, you know, the 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 fact that we, we think it's okay to deprive huge sections of society of basic resources, you know, and these create the conducive conditions for, for these kinds of Absolutely. abuses to happen. Yeah. It's like yet another reason why poverty is an awful thing. If you have to have sexism mm. to keep a roof over your head or to keep being fed, you know, obviously yeah. that's, that's horrific on some levels. And that story in the book about the woman who initiated sex in order to stop her partner emotionally abusing her was just, like I had to put the book down after that for a while because I was like, oh my yeah. gosh. Because after working in refuges for a while, I'm sure that was a very common thing. But mm. then I think a lot of people who do that really struggle to name that as sexual violence because they initiated it. They technically made a choice, air bunny quotes, um, to mm. have sex, but it's not a choice when it's in that situation where that's the safer option to survival rather than anything else and I think we we struggle with that and, and going but I started it but I did that and I think yeah. people really you know I don't think we even have the language I'd say a lot of people don't have it's new to hear strategic consent it's it's very new for me I probably would have identified that as like fawning you know the survival mm. mechanism of I'll just go along with this in order yeah. to survive but um it's so new like how do you even begin processing that, and, and trying to get rid of the guilt perhaps that people may feel and they all just to make it clear to everyone listening like you, mm. you, there is no guilt in that situation but yeah. that's just what we might feel yeah absolutely I think you know I've been in situations like even last summer like while I was writing the book where you know I brought someone back to my flat and I was like why have I done this like you know this is it just felt like the polite thing to do and and I was like, oh, like, where is this coming from? And sometimes, you know, we have these these cultural ideas just so ingrained in us that we don't realize that we're acting on them. And I, I was like suddenly aware of like, I have decided to invite someone back that I don't really like or want to have sex with, but I'm doing it because he's nice. And I think that he's expecting this and I don't 
I'd rather avoid an awkward situation and it feels like the polite thing to do and I went along with it and I was just like I felt really weird about it for a number of weeks and I was like you know I just thought why did I do that why did I do that and and I think that there's that that feeling sometimes of like just why and I think that really the answer first of all you know is because of the society and the you know the the way that we've grown up in this patriarchy I did it because of the patriarchy (laughs) just have it tattooed on my arm a fault for everything (laughs) yeah like I did it like and I I think basically I think self-compassion is important in in so many of these in so many of these uh, violations you know whether it's you know something that you've consented to that's you know it's unwanted sex basically you know I don't think you should blame yourself and I don't think that you should feel guilty or feel anything like I think I mean but it is a natural response and I do get that but I think I would try and approach yourself with kindness basically be kind to yourself and acknowledge the acknowledge the context that exists around us that literally drives us to make these choices absolutely Um, so much in that even like intergenerational trauma and like you said like attachment styles all this something that sometimes we're just not aware of and so many factors so it's it's more than I made this one choice on the night you know and and I think we need to look at that but on the flip side of that I think we really need to you know increase our awareness and education around that as well of you know like how do our sexual violence counselors respond to this is our therapist aware of what strategic consent is like do they have Mm -hmm. a real understanding of all those nuances of sexual violence and or do they minimize it and go well sure it wasn't as bad as that and if they do do that that's a bad therapist stay away from them um but like how do we get that message out there a lot more like because this is like understanding is how we change society right it's like yeah that's that's step one and then we got to roll it out and make sure everyone else has the same access to resources so how do we do that how do we get this message of look here's what's going on here's all these new terms and new knowledge that we have and new ways of understanding how do we get everyone else on board with that I think that one thing that would be really really helpful for for people to do is to to kind of uh abolish this idea that there's a hierarchy of of harms and I think that we we have this idea that you know rape is right at the top right of that of that hierarchy and I'm not saying like that it's not a horrific thing to happen but I think it's really unhelpful to to hierarchize all these different harms and to say that some things are greater than and some things are less than and I think that like as you mentioned earlier like regarding it as a spectrum regarding it also not looking through a legal lens at everything because first of all our law you know, the existing laws aren't protecting us. And, you know, also a lot of things that are sexual violence, you know, they don't, they, they're not even covered by the law. So just try and not look through a legal prism and, you know, look instead through more ethical and moral lens. Uh, is this wrong? And, and I think that that's actually a more helpful thing. Um, so I would say, yeah, like getting rid of that idea that some things are less valid than others um, is really, really helpful because, you know, that is that is something that's standing in the way of people getting support and talking to other people and sharing those 
experiences because I just think well it wasn't as bad as it could have been but you know that does that mean that your trauma isn't valid does that mean that you don't deserve to feel the way you felt um and so I think that that's a really helpful thing to to get rid of and I and I think that other people as well if you are listening to someone sharing a story um or an you know an experience then I think yeah do not come to that with oh well it could have been worse and oh well at least you weren't raped you know I think it's just important to not invalidate your own experiences or other people's um and I think you know it's really hard I think on the point of like how do you disseminate this information I don't know it I don't I would just like I would hope people read my book or you know other books that have like the you know an intersectional uh focus when it comes to and you know that also just explore um the shifting ways that violence takes place um and and just the broad spectrum of you know how how it occurs and I think that I I I don't know I don't know how because I can't force people to I can't force I can just run out into my into the street and just prize you know my copies of my books into people's hands as much as I'd love to do that I just don't think (laughs) you might get arrested yeah but but I think I think that you know one thing that really like shines out in the book is that so many of the because I mean I would say one one half of the book is like dedicated to like kind of the like the new ways that sexual violence is being uh, perpetrated or you know things that we're only starting to recognize as sexual violence but then we also go into um systems of oppression and you know the way that basically how sexual how systems of oppression manifest in our sexual culture things like fat phobia ableism and and i think that you know as i was saying earlier just kind of you know the reason why we like the context of why these things are happening is because we live in a patriarchy and you know because of white supremacy and because of all of these power structures that you know sit sit above us and around us and I think that we on an individual level what we can do even if you don't even if you aren't in possession of all of the facts about how colonialism has shaped our sexual culture for instance I think that you can just maybe think about how how you how misogyny might have manifested in your behavior and you know perhaps your sexual behavior in the past and how you can prevent it and you know I've I've thought about my own sexual behavior whilst writing the book and you know I know that there are things that I could have done differently and and you know there are lessons for I think all people of all genders you know to how to be more respectful towards others how to ensure everyone's boundaries are honored and so I think basically if we can model um kind of more of a you know like basically better like ethical behavior when it comes to sex like I think like ethical sex is what we should be looking towards you know treating other people even if you never want to see them ever again even if it's just a one night stand like just treating them like a human being it's not asking much it's really and that's kind more. of no it's such a basic level of like don't be an asshole to the person that you're having sex with like that should be the kind yeah. of oh the absolute bare minimum stuff but yeah like I like what you said and the book is really intersectional you know it's inclusive of trans people and and um you look at racism as well in the book and um you you know it's it's inclusive of sex workers as well which is great because they're left out of everything um but I just 
yeah like intersectionality and kindness is kind of a, such a yeah. magic formula for for changing society and i think um there's a lot to take in that as well so um i think that's that's a nice note to, to wrap up on because it's nice to mm. hear that there is options and like you said you know your book is now a great resource out there um hopefully forced into the hands of everyone but that's not <laughs> consensual um but for people to get and, and to just educate themselves and to be gentle with themselves as they do that because it's yeah. a massive learning curve for all of us you know it's all kind of new for many but um yeah thank you for for putting it out into the world where can people buy it when yeah so it's out now and you can get it wherever you get your books um and yeah basically you can get it on amazon you can get it in like on bookshop.org which supports independence hive uh foils waterstones wherever wherever you get your books yeah perfect and I, I just think you, you know I I turn down more requests for the podcast for people promoting stuff than I take on and I only take on the stuff that I believe in and, and you know and I've kind of stalked you on Twitter for a while and um, followed it <laughs> but I'm really glad that the book lived up to the hype so to speak you know it is a really powerful book and I just think like that use of all the personal stories and it's it's easy to read like as yeah. in reading wise the subject matter is is kind of hard but it's nice you can put it down and, and pick it up again it's not jargon filled and inaccessible no. and, and stuff like that so that's fantastic um and thank yeah you. listen thank you so much for putting that out into the world and, and for doing this kind of work where can people find you if they want to follow along for book number two <laughs> no, you've done more books than this haven't you yeah no, this is my first. Oh, this is first my first. Gosh, yeah. In at the deep end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. I'm on RVT9. Um, and on Instagram, I'm Rachel. It's, an, it's annoying because it's not the same handle, but it's Rachel V. Thompson with an underscore afterwards. So, so yeah. yeah and well, I'm obviously, I write at Mashable. That's my day job. So if you want to read some of my articles, you just, yeah, read my Mashable work as well. Why not? <laughs> brilliant no it's great great to have those voices out there in the world so um yeah so thank thank you you for today it's been fab yeah thank you thank you so much and again i you know highly urge all my listeners to reach out and read the book it's just it's kind of life-changing in some ways when you hear about all this and and you know you get to hear other people's stories about sexual violence and it's just a great educational tool so um you know that's coming from a very authentic place so i do urge people you know just get it if they can um, and mind yourself while you're reading it as well so if you want to reach out about the podcast the twitter and instagram is at glow west podcast and i'll chat to you next week